Blog Talk Radio. The most dangerous place for black people to live is in white people's imagination. Joshua Biola, Joyce Cornell, Manuel Ellis, Marlene Pinnock, Matthew Ajabati, Maurice Gordon Jr., Micah Johnson, Michael Brown, Roy Middleton, Rokina Jones, Rayshard Brooks, Sandra Bland, Tanisha Anderson, Ahmed Arbery with Amadou Diallo's Sean Bell, Tamir Rice, Eric Garner, Delando Castillo. Terrence Crutcher. Jonathan Farrell and Yeah, I I I will follow the people Hold and on. I love this so much that i almost feels to Jamel Roberson. Uh, Walter Scott. Alright, we'll give it all power to Wow. Janiah McMillan. Can you hear Andre me? Hamilton. Alton Sterling. Seven. Can you hear me? Carnell Snell yeah. Jr. Okay. Corey I think Jones. my mic is high. I'll probably still press people cheap. I mean, I actually want to, you know what? I actually almost, I didn't know. Okay, thank you, Chief. I didn't know how long that was. This is my first time hearing it. It, it almost, man, you know, that is. I just I got caught up. Chief had texted me like, look, your mic's hot when you want to jump in. And I'm just sitting here listening to names and like, it's unbelievable. It's so real. The year. Uh, man, wow. Anyway, thank you. Welcome to another Sunday menu with the People's Black Panther Party for Self-Determination. I am your brother, Chairman Yanga and Kruma. Um, and we have our people on the line. The continuation from last season. Let me give a quick rundown of the people we have on the line. We definitely have our chief of staff, our national chief of staff, War. Um, we have our national director of operations, Seven. We got from the Panther 48. Now, I hope I'm not saying it on Panther 48. My man and some very intellectual brothers, my man, E. And my other brother from the Panther 48, my brother, Psych. Um, and we had a wonderful discussion, man, last, I believe it was last Sunday. And we were talking about and 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 listen before I go and well let me give you this number it is a jersey number uh, I'm sorry you guys I'm I'm a little bit all over the place with my listeners man bear with me with you know be patient with me I'm coming back from Dayton from the demonstration trying to bring you this program so it's a lot going on um, but war we're looking for a 908 number last four digits will be seven eight six seven okay wait a gotcha. So, all right, and so what we're talking about, what we were talking about last 
the last conversation was white supremacy and the fact that uh, everything we do, every thought that we have, our dress, our diet, our speech, and if, you know, I was understanding right, uh, was a root of white supremacy, was rooted in white supremacy, and if I wasn't mistaken, was white supremacy in itself. You know what I'm saying? That basically you can't escape white supremacy. Um, and I thought that it was a very good argument for, and, and, and some very good points were made. Well, I, and I agree with the whole concept of America, this structure being white supremacist in its inception, in its very beginning. And I think that it was designed to be that way forever. I don't think that any people, when they have gained mastery or control, just willingly give that up. So I do believe the system was designed to be that way forever. But I also, however, in conjunction with that, something dynamic had taken place, something that that not even our oppressors could foresee, and that was just the resilience, uh, uh, not the resilience, what is the word I'm looking for, the resilience, the uh, fortitude, and the strength of the new African. This thing that he had brought over here to be a beast of labor, this thing that he had brought over here to be nothing more than property, he didn't factor in its freedom and its evolution. Therefore, the very instrument that I think that he intended to, to help him maintain his power and to retain power and to uh, promote push white supremacy had become compromised. His own... Uh, trying to integrate us and trying to get our Negro pennies has compromised his system of white supremacy. Because if on the last conversation, um, and please, War, I, I was talking to War, we were talking about trying to regulate our comments to maybe five or six minutes. So, you know, if, if, if I'm speaking, I'm not probably not going to be so much. War, if you could, please. A little bit, just kind of give me, you know, and then a little bit, maybe about a minute or two out, just kind of, you know, if Go I ahead, get long keep, keep going. Yeah, okay, keep going you. to get the, the right. show out. Okay, okay. So we're saying, so I'm saying this, that that very system that did start out as a white supremacist system and started out to maintain this white supremacy, and, and when it, what I was saying was when we were asking about this definition of white supremacy, I think the most common one where we found a lot of uh, commonality in it was to help white people maintain control economically, politically, socially, and to not just maintain control, but to keep that control and to keep people oppressed, to keep not just them in control, but you inferior, you see. So that was a part. And I believe that their integrating this multiculturalism compromised the very system that they were relying on to maintain their white supremacy. And this is why I say that. There's an anecdote that uh, my father always used. He said, you know, if a cow takes a dump, it's just crap. But when something grows out of it, it becomes fertilizer. So the whole thing is uh, I, I'm, I'm very leery about, like, I don't deny the history of America, nor the, nor the system nor the things that went into the system of building America. But I do question to say that what we're practicing now, what we're participating now, 
is still that very same system that uh, is able to maintain and hold white supremacy without our compliance and our participation. You know, and here's the difference to that, and we're going to open the floors, because when white supremacy was forced, you didn't have a choice in slavery. Your powers and all that every economic benefit derived from your labor was for them. Every benefit. Uh, you, We didn't have a choice in segregation and also in slavery as far as, listen, we've been, Billy Holiday made a song called, what was it called, Strange Fruit? And so though we're not, I'm not saying that they haven't, Stop lynching us. I'm not saying that they have stopped lynching us. I'm not saying that they haven't stopped discriminating and brutalizing us. But what I am saying is that what you saw about George Floyd, what you saw 60, 70, 80 years ago, you wouldn't have seen that. We used to cut our ancestors out of trees. So to say, I think to say that this is the same white supremacist system, that this is the um, and that it exists and we can't escape white supremacy with, with you know, even if we wanted to, that our thinking, our diet, our language, the way that we interact and so is will not escape uh, white supremacy, that we are unable to escape, uh, escape white supremacy, excuse me, I think it's erroneous. And with that, I yield the floor and open the, and, and open the floor. And before I do, listen, this is not just a conversation between us. You're listening to the people of Black Panther Party for Self-Determination. This is a conversation for you guys to get in, and you guys to weigh in on it. But with that, but we do want our uh, um, esteemed guests to really say something. And with that, I yield and open the floor. Peace and power. This is Brother Bernard. I want to say uh, well, thank you for the invite into this, uh, in this discussion. Does everybody hear me well? Yes. Yes. Yes, brother. Yes, brother Bernard. Okay. Yes. Uh, I just wanted to make sure um, I, I'm, you know, just I just came into the discussion. You know, the, you know, I'm of the uh, opinion that the FBI is constantly jamming me up in a variety of different uh, capacities, but <laughs> no Comintel Pro is still alive. Um, no doubt. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, you know, I came in a little. You know, as the discussion was uh, already had already unfolded, so I, you know, I, but what I caught is we're kind of addressing this, uh, you know, this uh, declaration of war. You know, this brother who, you know, you know, took out brother George Floyd. Um, am I am I under the? That's what we're discussing right now. Well, 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 actually, you know, what we talked about. I think when I talked to you last time on our personal conversation, we're talking about white uh-huh. white supremacy. And the whole okay. its influence, its effect on you know America, and are we under it? Are we under white supremacy? Can we escape white supremacy? Well, I will I will chime in with this. Uh, I will say that unfortunately, you know, the system of white you know supremacy is so embedded, <clears throat> so deeply embedded into our you know national consciousness, you know that. You know, even if we were to break away from this, you know, individual system, you know, it's so deeply rooted in our uh, being that, you know, we would, you know, you know, even if we were to set up our own, you know, colony independent of white supremacy, we 
we bring white supremacy right there. You know, you know, so I, w- I would say it is so deeply pervasive in our in our bone marrow that we, we have to we have to go through a process of surgically removing all of it. You know, you know, so you know, it's almost like that fruit of the poisonous tree ideology where you know, everything that comes from white supremacy, you know, you know, bears white supremacy. Uh, so as black people, you know, our first step is to get away from white folks. You know, we got we got to get away, and that's not to say we're racist. We got to get away from everyone because at this point, uh, on a cultural level, there's no one we can trust. You know, we 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 watched various immigrant groups uh, placate capitalism by you know you know dividing and separating themselves from us. You know, we've had to work double time almost. You know, to you know, and, and even under such oppression, our humanism always. Uh, rises to the fore. Everyone can come into the black community and make money. Everyone can, you know, come into the black community and, you know, you know, oppress, you know, so and 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 you know whatever, you know, the condition that has been created in us uh, as a result of you know systems like COINTELPRO that you know help reinforce white supremacy. Uh, you know, we gotta we gotta root it all out. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, so, you know, even if we were to, in this moment, uh, you know, were to see ourselves, uh, you know, you know, we, if, we, if we were to get uh, an independent free zone and for ourselves, you know, the, the burden we wish is, uh, you know, recreating a system that we're conditioned to. So breaking that conditioning would have to be a prerequisite before uh, discussions start on the establishment of that new state, whatever it's going to look like. So, say, uh, you know, white supremacy is probably the single biggest, uh, you know, factor uh, so, that has crippled black Americans to this date. Yeah, I don't think anybody disagrees. You see, here's the whole thing with that, and nobody answers my question. And, and I'm hoping I can get ears, because I hear that. We know that it's a problem. We know that it's existed. Nobody answers my question whether or not we can escape it today. Here's where I'm going to, uh, Brother Bernard, disagree with one of the things that you you, you say that um, I not even really disagree. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say that what we have to be careful what we're calling white supremacy, though I personally believe that capitalism plays a very big part of white supremacy. When you say that we, if we left and did our own thing, I don't agree with neocolonialism. But would neocolonialism be white supremacy if white suprem- if white people aren't made supreme? See, we, we're using white supremacy, white supremacy synonymous with anything Western. And when you do that, then I'm questioning what are you using as your counterweight? What are you judging this Western society by? You see what I'm saying? And then that isn't getting off white supremacy. It's only called cultural appropriation. If you're trying to mimic and go to a region in Africa, and be those people, you haven't shaken white supremacy off. You've only co- uh, uh, appropriated another people's culture. So in my conclusion, and, and, I, and I want to keep going around and saying that, that I say this. Yes, we have to be on the lookout for neocolonialism. Yes, we have to be on the lookout for us just emulating, which neocolonialism is, what we came from. But if it's all black, is that white supremacy? Even though it's a wrong system, it's a capitalist, imperialist system, it's everything that the white man has done, but it's black people being empowered 
by this corrupt system, is that still white supremacy? Well, well in answer to your question, okay, somebody else wanted to jump in. Yeah. Yeah, let Buddy go, go ahead and, and jump in first. Here. Yeah, please. What was that? You want me to, you know, respond? Yeah. But he, yes, sir. Okay, so, yeah, yeah you know, I, you know, and, you know, see that, it, it, you know, I'm a, I'm a literacy, you know, I studied language, you know, in, in, in you know, college. So it's like, you know, semantics matter. Um, you know, so, you know, you know, it's, it, you know, it, it's, you know, it's, it's synonymous with capitalism. You know, it's synonymous with colonialism. It's synonymous with, uh, you know, you know the 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 international oligarchic position. It, it's synonymous. All of these are are you know interchangeable, you know, because they work hand in glove. Everything has everything to do with everything in this system. You know what I'm saying? And I'll give an example to telegraph my point. Um, you know, in the black community, you know, we have a black bourgeoisie that is deeply rooted and connected to the, you know, the infrastructure of America. They're very uh, you know, deeply connected, you know, on every level. So, you know, when, you know, a new artist comes out, you know, that's going to influence popular culture uh, for, for black people, you know, that, that artist is go, walks through all of the, you know, outlies, the outlies that are, you know, set before them, you know, so they go interview with the Breakfast Club, uh, you know, the, the media on, you know, they, you know, make all of the rounds for, you know, the photo shoots, and they talk to all of the right people. Anytime, uh, you know, how is Charlemagne the God, you know, the, the, the go-to person, you know, for every politician that, you know, is, is trying to step into the arena and, you know, within the American context. It is a movement. It is a, it is a, it is a, it is an organism in itself, okay, that is, that, that, that revolves, you know, cyclically so that every, uh, you know, year, you know, we, we progress further and further towards, you know, the 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 consumption of world world uh, resources. You know, so you know, if 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 America was to fall today, okay, uh, you know, it, it, it's like watching a big, you know, fat white glutton like sitting on the whole planet. You know, and you know when you blow a hole in in the, in the stomach of that of that uh, oligarch, you know, and America falls, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to have an aspect uh, on the, on the entire, entire planet uh, is, is going to be affected by that. You know, so I, so I say, you know, in, in specific answer to your question, no, you know, we can't escape it because we haven't truly, uh, you know, wrapped our heads around the sheer scope of what we're dealing with. You know, and, you know, so it's, it's, and it's difficult, you know, to build a comprehensive analysis because we operate in vacuums in most cases. You know, we're, we're dealing with a very disjointed people on so many different levels that, you know, there's pockets of reality and pockets of, uh, you know, unreality that govern all of us. You know, so, you know, for every revolutionary action, there's a counter-revolutionary response. That's the dialectic of what we're dealing with. So, you know, when, you know, in this, even in this moment where George Floyd is executed before the world, you know, you know, Amer- America, the, 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 the racist, the white supremacist, the first, the, 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 the entity that feels superiority over every people is, is, is not threatened by the actions of the people because they're diametrically opposed. 
that's the contradiction. So it's like, you know, okay, George Floyd was executed. Every country, every country around the world is in an uproar. America is taking notes. Remember, America wants to, you know, war with Iran. So they don't care about Iranian protests. They want a war with China. They don't care about Chinese solidarity. Fascism is an entity of its own, and it usually gears its mm-hmm. head out when the, you know, when, when, when it's threatened. You know, that's the, that's the counter-revolutionary response. So for the revolutionary of today, you know, having that deep understanding of all of these systems requires study. You know, Mao said, where there's no investigation, there's no right to speak. We got so many people speaking on, you know, a, a, a revolution who, you know, haven't really analyzed, you know, the, the, the French Revolution, haven't analyzed the Cuban Revolution, haven't analyzed the Russian Bolshevik Revolution. You know, all these revolutions are important in that, you know, if we're thinking scientifically, as Marx outlined, you know, have we ever really seen the, you know, you know, the, the, the data accumulated in capital play out anywhere, have we? You know, so when you're looking at, um, you know, the societal conditions and you're trying to analyze and predict, you know, how the, the people are going to move, you know, every now and then you get a spark, you know, and that spark, you know, ignites the powder keg Malcolm talked about. And, you know, especially specifically in America, you know, saying that we – we're in we're in the middle of that spark. We didn't know George Floyd was going to be the the, the 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 you know the carrier of the spark. We didn't know that, you know. So now that you know we have done all of the analysis, you know, we we we've been in theory for quite some time, you know what I'm saying. So it's like you know analyzing that moment where theory marries practice, you know, is 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 you know a very very. Uh, you know, it's 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 it's, a, it's one of those fine moments of the revolutionaries. You know, when the revolutionaries discovers that, you know, you know, rev- the people make a revolution, the masses make a revolution, not the person. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the vanguard. Uh, absolutely. Blood, you know, but it's the people that are going to, you know, uh, uh, foster a revolution. So what we have to look out for are the counter revolutionary, uh, you know, responses, since those knee jerk reactions to the, 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 the movement or the development towards uh, uh, the revolutionary, uh, uh, you, know, you know, goal or that revolutionary moment. You know, so uh, I would say, it, you know, semantics, you know, going back to the original point here, you know, it, it usually, you know, you know tends to uh, uh, slow down the development of the revolutionary, of revolutionary, the, 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 the honing of, the, the, the you know the, the, the revolutionary message or the or the theory that is that is now to become weaponized. You know what I'm saying? You know, you know how what's the role of violence in that uh analysis? You know, it's it's for non mm-hmm. you know, are we are, are are we are we to look to Fanon right now? You know, are we to look to I, 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 uh mm-hmm. you know texts like the rest of the earth and you know uh, uh start to examine the role of violence in, in, in this particular uh, uh, superstructure we're dealing with, you know, you know, it's, you know, the revolution is going to look different in a superpower like America. It's going to look different. Absolutely. You know, the conditions are different. You know what I'm saying? The conditions I, are different. They're different. And I think right. you said a key thing. I think Brother E said a key thing. Uh, 
And then, and then we're going to let you go to the next. I'm taking advantage of you guys because it's my show today. <laughs> and I want to get everybody in, though. But I think Brother E said a key thing, though. Um, and one of those key things you said is revolution looks different from everywhere. One of the things I think happens to us as African Americans, by not having any real distinct identity, when we study these revolutions, we try to change our real conditions to fit their times. I'm like you. I'm a, I'm a student of the revolution. I studied the Bolshevik Revolution the uh, uh, Chinese Revolution, and one of the things that in my study, and, and being around people who of us who have studied, and one of the things I used to be guilty of was trying to fit, I would read Franklin on the Wretched of the Earth. I would read about the Algerian Revolution, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's like I think. Oh, yeah, that's like us. And still wouldn't be able to grasp the uniqueness of our situation, of the lack of identity. One of the revolutions, we're talking revolution that stood out to me was like Mao. Now, here's the thing that they do with our lack of identity, what we don't do, other revolutionaries do, whether it be Cuba Revolution or Mao Revolution. Mao, a communist, goes to war with the nationalists, which I am, goes to war with the nationalists, but finds out that that communist BS, after he wins the war and tries to industrialize China, almost starves them to death. When we begin, and then he had to, what did he have to do? Adapt some aspects of nationalism with his cultural revolution. Now, these people begin, Fidel, the same way. Anywhere you find these people who have studied revolution, and in the beginning you will see that they tried to apply it like they read in the books, but their success began to come when they could grasp it, their dialectic, not just from the text, but they could put it in their dialectic. The loss, in my opinion, of course, and I'm open the mic, the loss of us and our, one of our very strong revolutionary struggles is when Huey began to embrace that understanding, begin to embrace internationalism and then the international revolution in the concept or, or in the way that it began to push black nationalism to the back. And when we study deeply, we'll find that some of those seeds are what caused the seed between the East and the West Coast split. When you begin to push, when he became such an internationalist that our issues began to come secondary, then it was no more like the white leftists and everybody else that we said, like we see now having George Floyd and this, this thing to come up, that we let to come in, thinking international revolution, this thing and that thing, and then our particular struggle for freedom. Our revolutionary struggle gets lost in the shift of international revolution. Please, we'll open up the mic and let you kind of moderate. And give, and then we're going to come back around. I'm not going to make comment after everything, but I'll let everybody come back and comment. Okay. Buddy, go ahead and jump in. Yeah. You there, E? What was that? I can't hear you. Go ahead. Go ahead. You want me to continue? No, brother E. Where's brother E? Oh, uh, B. I'm I'm B. I don't know who the, the, the no. brother E is. You just get... E. E. Okay. E. All right. Can't hear you, E. Can't hear you. That was E. Right. Who was that speaking? That was Bernard. That was Bernard. Yeah, that was too. Bernard. Okay. Oh man. Let me. Uh, I thought I was speaking to brother E. Yeah, let me Hello? hear brother E. Hello. Now we can hear you. Yes, you eat. Now we okay. can hear you now. Okay. Um, so let me start from here. All revolutions, all of them, whether they're 
whether it's the French Revolution, the American Revolution, whatever revolution we want to use as an example, all of them have their roots in the oppressive system. All of them have their roots in, in the system of oppression that they were working against. Without that oppressive system, there is no revolution. There is no revolutionary. So have we gotten beyond it? Absolutely not, simply because we're still here. We are still fighting. So I think it's key that we restate the premise to get back to what it is we're working to understand. And the premise is this, that until we understand, well, the question is, what is the issue that we face as Africans in this country? What is the problem as opposed to the symptom? And until we understand racism and white supremacy, what it is and how it works, everything else we think we understand will serve to confuse us simply because everything else is a result of that system. This revolution that we're talking about, this working against and to free our people and all, is a result of racism, white supremacy. Kicking it in Africa, you know, 3,000 years ago, we didn't have racism and white supremacy to deal with. So there was no need to rebel or to revolt against it. In that mindset, or coming from that mindset, what we've attempted to do, particularly as the Panther 48, is to get away from the stagnation of ideology. We are not, we don't consider ourselves nationalists, pan-Africanists. We don't uh, uh, adhere to black liberation theology or African-centered thought. These are ideologies that we use, that we take, and apply when they're necessary to develop programs, platforms, understandings to move forward so that we don't maintain in a box. Because if you're just a Pan-Africanist, you can only do certain things. If you're just this or just that, you can only do certain things, and it's easy to corner you in that pocket. So we attempt to look at the system from all of those perspectives. What One of those things that it lets us know is that what racism, white supremacy is and is not. Jay-Z being a billionaire is not success by African standards. Oprah Winfrey being a billionaire is not success by African standards, by European racism, white supremacy standpoint, perspective, yes, is absolutely a a success. And it's something that they hold in our face to say, look, y'all are making it. But from an African-centered perspective, it's not a success simply because Brother Floyd is gone. Brianna's gone. All these other sisters and brothers are gone, even though we've got these billionaires. So I, what we're saying is that, okay, look at it from an educational perspective. We went to public schools. I'm assuming most all of us that are listening to this went to public schools. These are schools that uh, cater to and express and develop a racist, white supremacist agenda. Having grown up and learned what it is they had for us to learn, whether we got A's or we got F's, we still learned what it was they were kicking to us. Now we're adults who have our perspectives based in that. Yes, we've learned some things as we've gone up, but the reality of it is those things we learn most, we learn in our younger years. We learn when we're in elementary school, and they were cultivating our minds at that point in time. On top of that, every day through the media, 
through music, through TV shows, through everything, those racist, white supremacist perspectives and ideas are further cemented in our minds. We are constantly being inundated with racism and white supremacy, not because someone calls us nigger, but because everything we do from the food we eat, you realize that a brother in the middle of the Congo, never seen white people before, is still subject to racism and white supremacy because he lives on a planet that is subject to the ills of climate change. Ain't never seen white people, but he's still oppressed by the same system. The system is global in scope. Whether you speak French, German, or English, white folks will look out for white folks because it is ingrained and embedded in them to elevate and uplift themselves at the expense of everyone else. So is it, is it racist, white supremacist, because we have black businesses? Absolutely, they're still subject to racism and white supremacy because they're built on a system that defines what taxes they pay, what forms they got to fill out, what they can and can't sell, the fact that they can't completely uh, uh, benefit the masses of their people without running the risk of being ostracized from the mainstream system. We've seen that with Kaepernick. He got blackballed because he did some little thing for African people in this country. In fact, and I'm going to wind it up with this for now, to call ourselves African-American is racist or a result of racism and white supremacy simply because it is a tacit acceptance of our oppression. We're essentially saying that I'm an American, even though from the time America has been America, the whole point of this country has been to keep us in check. And today in 2020, we are still in check, can't do anything outside of being in check, including resisting being in check, because you're only resisting because you're in check. So as long as that system sits there and we call ourselves American anything, even though the Constitution says you're three-fifths human, you're not human, but we still identify and say, yes, I'm with them. That, that is racism and white supremacy at work in our mind. And if we think it's not, ask yourself a question, simple question. Can you as an individual or can we as a people even, can we ever, ever get the word nigger out of your head? And I don't mean not use it anymore. I don't mean don't think about it. I mean if I say uh, <clears throat> one that opera with the should of suit to the drop of march at person to the rooster, most people that hear that have no idea what I'm saying. It's an actual language. But can we get the word nigger, if we hear somebody use the word nigger at some point, can we get to the point in our own minds to where someone saying that sounds like what I said just a moment ago, sounds so foreign and, and, and distant from us that we have no concept of what that is. Can but you get the word it? nigga out of your mind? Because that's their word. No matter how much we as a powerless people try to act with power and say we're taking the word and we're using it as a term of endearment, no, no. Mm-hmm. Can you ever get the white but, man out of your mind? And if the answer is no but, or anything close to no, if the answer is anything but yes, then you have to acknowledge that racism, white supremacy, is the engine behind capitalism. Let me, it's the engine behind your school, the school system, behind everything that it is we do, say, think, or feel. And that's why we have so many issues, even amongst the so-called revolutionaries, in dealing with our personal issues, because we still, we may intellectually know 
that this, this, and this is not the way to go. But emotionally, subconsciously, we have been geared, manipulated, and operated by a system that seeks our own destruction and our yield. I got a couple of really big caveats I would like to just... Who is it? Wait a minute, wait a minute, but no, who is it? I want to make sure Psych gets in, and then we got. I I definitely want to ahead, ahead, make ahead, sure ahead. that uh the 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 uh, uh directive operation gets in, and I'm gonna run my mouth. But question for thought too, and I want all of y'all to say this, and to you too, Bernard, hold your point. Is it yeah. German supremacy? Is it German supremacy that the Jews haven't forgotten what? Uh, Hitler did to them. What do you mean? I don't even think we should get nigga out of vocabulary. I don't think we should get out of mind. I don't think we should remove the Confederate statues. I don't think we should change a thing that reminds us who the enemy was and what crime was committed against us as a people. I, 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 I really feel like sometimes that we look towards a thing called escapism. Like you said, you spoke a whole different language. And I, you know, I do a little bit of Arabic and this and that. And we do all of these things, but they are not us. At one point, we are descendants of enslaved Africans, but my going to Nigeria, my speaking Swahili, my speaking Madinka, and all is not me. It may be a part of who I am, but it is not me. At the end of the day, it is cultural appropriation. And only two things happen when you appropriate a people's culture. One, you insult those people because you never get it right. Or secondly, they make you their clown and puppet because you look like a clown and puppet because you have it embraced and accepted as rotten and terrible as it has been. The reality that is yours, New African, the, the Cubans have done it, the Afro-Cubans, the Afro-Puerto Ricans, the Haitians, the West Indies, the Jamaicans, everybody does it. But when it comes to the black man and woman here in America, we will be Muslim, Islamic, Christian, Disney, Moors, even now back to Africa, but we will not be New African, and we will not address the crime that took place and begin to frame our revolution in that context and culture. Um, Noah, who's the next one online? But make sure, Bernard, make sure we got Bernard on, but I, I want to make sure Psych and um, Sister um, Seven get in. Yeah, I'm on. Psych, yeah. Okay, Psych, you, you want to jump in on this? Well, uh, I'm really, I'm listening and enjoying the discussion. Uh, I was going to say, I was going to say a couple of things that I want to respond to. Uh, the brother, I think his name is Bernard, I think he was the one talking earlier before E, and he made mm-hmm. a nice point. And uh, I think Sister Seven said it last week as well, but that uh, uh, all the revolutions that we studied that have went on around the world are not necessarily going to be able to be tailor-made to deal with the one that we're dealing with in America. And I, and I want to I wanna paraphrase, because I ain't going to be able to get a quote directly, but essentially this is what Che Guevara said. He said, that, uh, he said that the great leaders would be the product of history that the political chieftains who will lead the revolution will learn the art of war during the course of war itself, that there is neither trade nor profession that can be learned from books alone, wow. that the struggle itself wow. is the great teacher. And so any true revolutionary understands that he studies because revolution is scientific. A lot of times we think revolution is emotional, but it's scientific. The true revolutionary comes up with proper strategies and tactics in order to guide the people. Y'all said earlier that the people make the revolution true, but the revolutionary becomes the vanguard and leads the directs the people into properly utilizing that energy to create 
the, the revolution to move towards their freedom. So we have to we have to understand that, and the revolutionary must be intelligent enough or, or wise enough to take what he has learned from history to recognize his modern-day context and then apply to all of that accordingly. So I, I wanted to say that to to that to that uh, to that statement that that's very really important for us to understand and realize as those who claim ourselves to be revolutionaries, as those who have taken up this banner, because this is a hard work. This is a and this is a long road for a person to walk. Uh, another quick thing I wanted to state, I wanted to quickly state, is that it's, it's extremely important when we're looking at white supremacy that we don't think white supremacy is bigotry. You know, when you look at that, when you look at white supremacy, you understand white supremacy the same way that you understand democracy or socialism or capitalism or communism or any other ism, a system of thoughts and beliefs and ideas. The same way you might even understand Islam or Christianity. It is a social system that was developed and constructed for a particular social means. And when you study sociology, you understand that sociology is a social science based on in how people respond to stimuli, and, that, and it's just that simple. So when we understand white supremacy, we need to be discussing this thing from that point of view. The brother asked a question. I'm going to share that with this one. Uh, brother asked a question. He said, can we escape white supremacy? Yes or no? And, and I'm asking this question in two different ways depending on how it's meant. If you mean can this system be defeated and that people can one day be free, Yes, I'm an idealist in that in that concept. Do you mean that there's somewhere we can go in America where we don't see fear or and are being acted upon by the system of white supremacy? Hell no. And that is the only way to escape it though, in my in my opinion, is to acknowledge it, recognize it for what mm-hmm. it is and then create concrete strategies for dealing with it. And with that I mean mm-hmm. All right, Sister Seven, you want to you want to jump I, in on this? I, I sure would. Um, and and all these men on the line, I'd like to say happy Father's Day. <laughs> thank, thank you know, it, it's actually thank very you. important that we stop and recognize the divine job of fatherhood. And um, I just wanted to shout everybody out. Um, enjoy your day. Enjoy this day uh, and all it has for you. Okay. So um, that being said. I'm not a separatist. I'm a black nationalist. And and I've been sitting here listening and, and wrestling with this idea of um, what is the solution? Is the solution to get another language? English is our language. You know, is the solution to go and to live somewhere else? No, we, we live right here, and we have the right to live here. And, you know, we should have and feel ownership for the sacrifices that our ancestors made here. So I'm not, I don't need to go nowhere, you know. Um, I'm a black nationalist. I got rights, and I want some more, you know. There are things out there that we we need, but where does it start? It actually does still start within the system. So don't think that you can go anywhere in the world because you need to get permission from this supremacist system in order to get on the airplane. Be clear. You can't even cross the border. Be clear. So don't think that our uh, revolution or whatever is going to be without them in the middle of it, okay? So that's it. 
That's a fact. But the thing about it is that doesn't have to be the end. You know what I'm saying? We can continue. We are not economically prepared, politically prepared, socially prepared. We don't even get along with each other, okay? But what we do need to get together on, no matter your own personal philosophies, religions, um, separatists, capitalists, whatever you want to get into, you know, what we do need to understand is that we have a an underlying common enemy that is um, intentionally detrimental to our progress, and that is that's a reality. You can call it white supremacy. You can call it Western philosophy. You can just call it 2020 and these people are crazy. You know, whatever you want to call it, it's there. That undercurrent is there. But what I'm trying to say is that we have to develop enough muscles to fight the undercurrent. We have to factor that in, you know, and trying to fight it directly. I think we should be focusing on ourselves. You know, let, let, let's, I don't care what white supremacy does. I just need it not to interfere with me. I need it not to interfere with mine. In order to get that done, I don't have to understand how it affects the, the climate. The, I, don't, I don't have to worry about that. What I need to worry about is how do I create a counterbalance for this system, okay? A lot of our brothers have problems, been inside for years, get felonies, whatever. I'm not fighting the fact that you have a record. I need to fight the fact that you need a job. And you need to feed your children. And so I need to go about creating jobs. I can't sit here and say, oh, this system needs to give him. No, the system's not going to give him the job. I have to become a new, I'm, I'm a loop in their system. I'm a bug in their system. So I'm not fighting the system. I am creating a counter to their system, okay? So I don't care about what their rules and laws say about felons. I need to create a job for you, okay? I need to create housing for your for you, and I need to educate your children with my children so all these black children know how strong they are and what they can accomplish. Young people today won't even comprehend this conversation because they're like, can't, won't, I, don't, I ain't with that. Don't tell me what I can't do. I don't, my mama yeah. can't tell me what I can't yeah. do. And so yeah. we're losing yeah. people when we start focusing on the oppression and not focusing on the counter. What is the counter? What is the answer? How do we begin to plan how to get away from the undertow? Because calculating the undertow, okay, doing all the other stuff, I don't think that is where our efforts will best be served. I think our efforts are best served when we are fight, when we're creating those loopholes in their own system, because there are loopholes in the system, but that still takes a willingness to be in the system. That takes a willingness to accept the fact that no matter what this system says, I can find a way around it. I, you and know so what? I, I think there's a different focus, you know, for me, and this is I'm speaking individually and I'm presenting ideas to the collective. I need the focus to more be not on what is, but what can be. Where where can we go with this? And telling me to move that back to Africa, I'm not going. You know, and half my people can't go with me because we can't get passports. You know, telling you know, telling me to go live in you know, Oyotunji, that's not working. So, like, what is the counter? 
you know, I think in, in, order, in order to have a counter, you have to un- have an understanding of what it is you're countering, and that's what we're talking about. What is it you're having a counter to? You have to know what it is that's on the other end of the scale before you can start weighing up your side. Otherwise, you're just throwing out ideas and let's do this, and it doesn't go the right no, direction. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. I, 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 I would like to chime in because I, I, I would like to chime in because I do appreciate what the sister just said, and you know that poses a conundrum because ultimately, you know, if we do, uh, you know, figure that we want an independent colony to get away from the PTSD that it is post-traumatic slave disorder that all of us are infected with, you know, she's right. There are going to be black people in this culture who have such a stake in the system that they don't want to leave, okay? And they're entitled to their state, you know? So, you know, there are going to be black people who don't want to leave, you know what I'm saying? But the larger point that I want to speak to is why, you know, this, you know why Fanon important to revolutionary studies because Fanon talks about these various points. You know, um, you know, you know, Fanon said, you know, that, you know, when the, the native, you know, the, the, the colonized native will eventually discover, you know, it, it, you know, that his life, his breath, his being yeah. heart are all the same, you know, as those of the settlers. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. and it's kind of like speaks to what the brother was talking about. You know, you know, Fanon analyzed that. You know what I'm saying? And then he, you know, spoke about, you know, you know, the process of decolonization. You know, decolonization, he says, is the meeting of two forces opposed to each other. You know what I'm saying? By their very nature. Okay, you know, you know, you know, and he says that to say that the explosion of the natives, you know, by the settler, you know, you know, we're gonna get to a point where you know, those bayonets and cannons are going to go off. You know what I'm saying? So when you're dealing with decolonization, it is the, you know, creation of a new man. You know, maybe that's that new African the brother's talking about. You know, everybody has a role in the revolution, and people have got to know their expertise because everyone's expertise is going to be needed. You know, you only need the one body politics. So the point is, you know, if you got the brother here talking about, uh, you know, the process of, bringing black people to to a new African consciousness so that we rape the word nigger out of our souls, then that brother, his work is going to be important to the revolution. You know what I'm saying? So, so we need that brother to continue to, you know, pine the research to build the kind of program and process that all of us are going to have to go through in order to cleanse ourselves of white supremacy. That may be that brother's role. The sister, your role might be to make sure that all of the blacks that are going to stay in America are, are pooling their resources to help the ones who branch off and want, to, and want to, you know, recolonize somewhere else because there are black people who are so damaged by this system that they got to get out of it in order to heal. And they should be entitled to that free space where they can eat an apple under a fucking tree without having to worry about being, losing their life to some white supremacist cop who can't connect with our culture. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So all of and these that's where you are, are going to be important in the revolutionary journey, but we have got to map it out so that all of us have our role in I believe what you're saying. I believe what you're saying. 
The problem of what you're saying is our resources are thin. Let's, I'm going to be very honest. Our resources are thin. We don't have 10,000 people to put on um, the exodus plan. We don't have 10,000 people to put on medical health, medical and mental health. We don't have the people and the manpower. Right now we're dealing with us on this line. Another couple hundred that might listen in every now and again. We don't have the resources to split ourselves up like that. What we have to do is come up with a plan that can cover as much ground as possible and continue to have us be progressive. But we don't have the plan, the money, the reason. We don't have it. So that's why we can't just sit back and say, okay, look, everybody kind of get in where you fit in and do your own thing. We can't do that. We have to stay linked arm in arm, even though our focuses are different. We have to stay so focused on this because we don't have the resources that sit back and select committees for all of that we don't. That's why we can't let them split up this whole Black Lives Matter. We can't say here a gay rights matter. We can't sit here and say this matters, that matters. For once, we have one shout, and it's got to be clear. We got one opportunity to be listened to and heard and one plan. So we don't have time to present 10 different aspects of this plan. We don't have the resources. We're not even the majority minority anymore. We need an infrastructure. We can do it. We need an infrastructure. We just need an infrastructure. Well, we can do it. You know, you I, have a head I, I of the organization. I can agree. You have the head of the organization. Go ahead, young. Okay. I can agree. I can agree. Uh, with a, a couple of things I've heard a lot of us say on here, you know, and uh, one of the things that goes back to me, I'm listening. I don't know if it was, uh, I think it was Psych that said, and I thought it was great where he said that, you know, they're getting away with the ideology, the ideology. And I thought that was a good note to, to, to hit on. One of the reasons I thought it was a good note to hit on, because we talk about white supremacy. We talk about the war that we in, but we don't know. It's not, we don't know what we're fighting. The uprise that we saw about George Floyd was a cry against white supremacy. That's what Black Lives Matter is. It's saying that you don't value our lives. And not that we, you know, some of us as revolutionaries care whether or not you value our life. The problem with that is you control the system. That's it. You know what I'm saying? I can care how you personally feel about me, but if you create a system or if your system says that, you know, you can kill them and you get a year, it's almost like encouraging. You know that type of behavior. If you're if you're uh, uh, scared of black people or whatever, you know the system encourages that. There's no deterrent for any those type of activities against us. One of the ideologies, though, that I say that we embrace. This is why I say black nationalism on its basic primal level of black nationalism, not on the sense of black nationalism that we understand and what it means, but on the primal level of black survival, and that starts with black determination. You see, we, we, we come when we talk about capitalism and imperialism, therefore you have to give them an alternative to capitalism. What black system do what system do you have to give because I think in the last show that um it was, you know, uh, proposed that even socialism or communism was parts of white supremacy. So what thing in the world are you gonna do to battle white supremacy when basically it's almost like we're saying any system we use is white supremacy. 
So before we go into systems, see, our revolution, what makes our revolutions different from other revolutions worldwide is they didn't fight an identity revolution. Nowhere the Cubans weren't fighting that. They knew they were Cuban. It was a political revolution. China, Russia, nobody fought a racial identity revolution. This is where our struggle is unique and why we may touch that briefly when we start getting in our revolutionary rhetoric. We touch on racism briefly in the beginning, then we'll get on socialism, we'll get on communism, we'll get on everything without forgetting the point that none of that works because we're lacking an identity in the whole matter. So right now, I should, in, in my opinion, of course, it starts with racial survival and racial determination. We'll, dis- we'll discuss ideology right now. If we're black capitalists, and I'm not a capitalist, but if right now black people recreate a black Wall Street and recreate what, recreate what Marcus Messiah Garvey did, who was a black capitalist, if we created what he did, we would have been taken a gigantic step again. So the, the ideologies right now at this time, those specific things, I think, if we're addressing them, then we need to be sure that we're addressing them from a black nationalist or a black survivalist, black self-determinist perspective. Because we lo- I, I think in all our revolutionary rhetoric, we lose that aspect of it. In my conclusion, I go back again to our Jewish counterparts. We're like when we use the word nigger or the oppression, the Jews have a slogan. They say, never forget. Never forget. The Jews say this. So all the oppression and the tyranny that uh, the Nazi party put them through, that Hitler put them through, they flipped that and turned that and used it as inspiration and motivation. We still bed wet. We still want them to revise history and tear down the statues and forget about them. I mean, eventually in our own place, okay, right now, why that's not a big thing to me, that's just revisionist history. 500 years later, they'll be telling our children they were immigrants. Slavery will be just that. Like my son came to me and said, son, dad, we learned about slavery. I said, you did? What did you learn? I learned we worked all day for free. What? That's what slavery's been reduced to? So I can't imagine what they're going to teach his children when they remove all the Confederate stuff. They'll act like the Civil War never happened. Ours should be a battle of self-determination and self-survival. I yield. I, I have a question. Hey, uh, tell me again, if I can. Yes, please. All right. Uh, and, and I'm somewhat joking when I say this. Until I heard Sister Seven talk about black nationalism, I thought I understood what it was. But but that, uh, I need a definition of black nationalism. Because I like to fancy oh. myself to, to somewhat be politically astute to some degree and somewhat deep in my imagination. But when I heard her talk, it, it, it was completely different than what I thought black nationalism would be. So could you give me a definition of what black nationalism is? Um, I, you know, that's Go ahead. No, go ahead, brother. Please, anybody. Step in there. He asked me. You know, the two people out there. Before we say this, let me say this one time. Before you say anything, hold on one thing. Let me say this one time before you say it. You're listening to the People's Life Panther Party for Self Determination. I'm your chairman, Yang. Got a powerful panel on here. If you're interested in jumping into this conversation, please get in this conversation. You may not catch these conversations like this again. Please jump in here, press one, we'll recognize you and open your mic. I'm sorry, I don't even know if that was brother here, brother, but I'm somewhere. Oh, yeah, well, I was just getting at the idea of black nationalism, you know what I'm saying, because even inherent in the the concept of black nationalism is the separation of black people, you know, to the, in the creation of a black nation. You know, Marcus Garvey talked about that 
you know what I'm saying, in the Universal Negro Improvement mm-hmm. Association. That was in the 20s. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So but he, he was talking about the infusion, the infusion of, you know, the acquisition of economic power, you know, to infuse black mm-hmm. people, you know, with a sense of community, you know, and group feeling. You know what I'm saying? You know, so, you know, it, it, was, it wasn't just about, you know, quote, quote, unquote, going back to Africa. It was about black power and, you know, the, the reality that black is beautiful. You know what I'm saying? And the ancestry of black people. You know, Du Bois also, you know, echoed uh, his ideas on black nationalism. You know what I'm saying? But, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, his black nationalism took on several other forms. Like, you know, he was more, you know, in, in, in involved in the pioneering, you know, and the advocacy of pan-Africanism. You know what I'm saying? Which ultimately is like the belief, you know, that all people of African descent, you know, have a common interest. You know, and should work together in the struggle. You know what I'm saying? For their freedom. You know what I'm saying? Malcolm X also talked about black nationalism. What? What? You know what I'm saying? Right. In terms of the, you know, coming together of, you know, so we got the science on, you know, black nationalism from very, you know, you know, many different black leaders. You know what I'm saying? You know, so the point is, right. you know, what does black nationalism look like today underneath, you know, you know, an imperialism that has gotten, you know, to its precipice, you know, like the, the world is running out of resources. You know, you know the white yeah. man. You know the white man has, has consumed so many. Within. That's why I echo back to that imagery of this big fat white, you know, glutton. You know that's just sitting his well, fat ass on the whole earth. You know what I'm saying? Like you get right, rid, you right. you pull, you bring this fuck to his knees. You know what I'm saying? It's like you know you know, you know how is that? What kind of effect ripple effect is that going to have over the world? Let's, Right. Okay. Well, let's let's bring it I, I, Okay. Go ahead, Jane. Okay, let's address the black nationalism. I think we hit it on the point. That's what black, black nationalism is hard to pinpoint directly because black nationalism is the base, and a lot of people add creeds to it. You have revolutionary black nationalists. You have capitalist black nationalists. You have Marcus Harvey, who is a black nationalist in some aspects, but his overall goal was repatriation, and therefore a lot of people put him in a larger pan-Africanist. Malcolm was a, a black nationalist. You'll see Malcolm late in the years going from a religious black nationalist mm-hmm. from the Nation of Islam to a more political black nationalist as fighting and advocating for the human rights violations against the black man and the black woman here in America. So black nationalists, what I love about black nationalists, it simply says that black people in its base, in its premise, says that black people are a nation over here. They should recognize themselves as a nation and work collectively. Now, the, the, the tactics you use, you come together as a collective. And I agree with someone says, when you're in a fight, see, our problem is when you talk about this white supremacy, and I don't call it white supremacy, I call it neocolonialism, white thinking. Um, because a lot of times it's, it's, you know, sometimes it's vice versa because sometimes unconsciously we do elevate the white man. Just sometimes it's just our way. But that's a whole other discussion. When I say neocolonialism, I'm talking about in our linear thing. We think like Europeans. We think like white We think that even in our fight that it has to be in order. First we need to address this. First we need to address that. Um, Mother Khadija one time said something I thought was so profound. Mother Khadija said black people are circuit. They're their site for their community. You know what I'm saying? And so saying that when you say that we look at it like that, 
if we if we look at us being that people, then we look at our fight like that, and we say that there is no leader, there is no first. We need to address this fight. I don't care if, you, if all your fight is is going to a black business. If all your fight is is smiling at a black person and changing your attitude towards a black person, nationalism is going to start as recognizing ourselves as a people. I don't know what type of government, what type of economic system, any of that right now. Right now, recognizing ourselves as a people, that we are being targeted deliberately, and that we must begin to, uh, and, or how we begin to change our condition is change our thinking. And one of the ways I advocate of changing our thinking is saying that everything we do is white supremacy because if it's hopeless, why fight? I mean, if you're telling me that my whole existence and my creation uh, and my whole life, I will never be able to escape white influence unless I embrace somebody else's culture, I just can't buy into it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, really think about when we say the things we're the same, I want all of us to really think about the position that puts us as black people here in America. You know what I'm saying? Really, and that you're basic, we're basically saying that our very existence, our very freedom, will always be the embodiment and the uplifting and upholding of a white supremacist system and a white supremacist way. And I just don't. And I use. Okay, let, let's psych. Uh, okay, psych, jump in yeah. now and uh, I'm coming. Psych. All right. Uh, uh, I have to I have to comment real quick on what uh, Brother Yanger just said, and at least for me, that is directly not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we can't that we can't beat it, we can't defeat it, we can't get away from it. That there is no way at all that we can distance ourselves from it. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that that as any intelligent military strategist, in order to take a hill, I have to first recognize that my desire, my goal, is to take the hill. I can't just run out in the field, just run in any direction and say I'm gonna I'm gonna accomplish my military <laughs> design when I don't know what it is. Right. That's all I'm saying. I'm saying right. we have to identify the end all, identify the goal, and then come up with proper strategies to get to. That's all. That's what that's that's all I'm saying. And and, and I would never. I disagree 100 with Sister said when she said we didn't have the resources. I think there's always a way to come up with resources because I think like a gorilla. And one thing that we understand about the term guerrilla, guerrilla is a Spanish word. A lot of times when people hear us say we guerrilla warriors, they think we're saying we gorilla. They think we're saying we the animals, mm-hmm. that we big, loud, and strong. But a guerrilla comes from the Spanish word, which means small. It means small army. So the guerrilla, because he is undermanned, he's underdeveloped, and he doesn't have the resources that his enemy has, he has to fight a war, a, a small war. He has to fight the war to flee. See, the gorilla in the jungle, he takes his enemy's resources and uses them against him. He utilizes, when the enemy wants to fight, the gorilla runs. And when the enemy wants to rest, the gorilla attacks. See, the, the enemy has to suffer the dog's agony. And the gorilla, in the, I mean, the enemy has to suffer the dog's agony, and the gorilla has to operate like the fleet. So this is the way I see it. So there's no way I'm ever outmanned and outgunned because my enemy got way too much for me to ever be without the resources I need. So I, I guess the whole that mentality I can't go with. That's, so I agree with y'all when y'all say the youngsters in the streets uh, will be like, hell no, you can't tell me I can't do it because I'm one of them youngsters in the streets. And hell no, you can't tell me I can't do it. I'm not, I'm not going to go for that. And, I, and I've read Malcolm, 
and heard what he said about black nationalism and Garvey and all the brothers and heard what they said. And that's why I say up until then, I thought I knew what black nationalism was because the sister, with all due respect, said some things that I was like, oh, that ain't what Malcolm said when he said he was a black nationalist because the sister said, uh, my, my language is English. I don't want to go to Africa. You know, and I was like, whoa, what is the hell is a black nationalist? And, and I'm not saying that. But one thing we got to understand is that white supremacy is not limited to America. What do you think they got African from? I'm kind of getting They went to Africa and called yeah, okay, themselves like a large it's, cop it's, it's and colonized Africa and took over Africa in those same languages when, and all that is being spoken in Africa. Those same power systems are being ran in Africa. Africa was colonized, cut up like a pie, divided into divided and given to different European nations, the people of Africa would then mm-hmm. snatched off the soil and took to their other colonies they had all over the globe and, and sent there to work mm-hmm. as slaves all over the globe. And that's where the brother mentioned Pan-Africanism. That's what Garvey said. Pan is, is all African. Every, all black people all over the planet are originally African. That's, what, mm-hmm. that's the ideal and the concept that he was saying. Only difference is the Haitian mm-hmm. is nothing more than the African that was enslaved by the, by the French and the, and the American black is nothing more than the African that was enslaved by the English. That's, that's, so, so we're not mm-hmm. saying go back to Africa. We're not saying learn an African mm-hmm. language and one day we'll be free. We're not saying that power, political power goes out of the sleeve of a dashiki. We're not saying that. We're not saying that at all. But there is a balance. And, and, and one thing that we have to understand, because everybody has said this and everybody has agreed to this, uh, Chairman Yanger said it about that post-traumatic slave disorder that we had this, mm-hmm. that we've been brainwashed to a certain degree, that we've been brainwashed mm-hmm. to a certain degree to the point to where his culture has, has taken over our thinking to the point that a lot of times when we are presented with, with traditional uh, uh, black ideas and concepts, we, we fight away from, oh, I don't want that. I don't want no part. Oh, no, please don't. I don't want no parts of that. Mm-hmm. So we, we'll fight against our own liberation to a certain degree. And, and I'm going to yield with this, with this last statement. A good book I read, good, good, great book I read. I used to love, I used to, love to debate uh, uh, the white races in prison with it. I used to love to debate it. But uh, 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 the brother, he, he, I mean, the cat, he breaks down uh, uh, how human beings developed, all the way from the evolution of the human species to blacks being the first people on the planet, all the way down to the building of civilizations and the development of cultures. And, and if you see yourself as an individual and your mind as your own individual mind, then culture becomes a universal mind. And he said that essentially what he said was this, that culture becomes an extraordinary important component for any group of people's well development and freedom in this world. And if you doubt that, take a look at two people whose culture was completely eliminated from them and look at their status on the planet today, black Americans and the Native Americans. And with that, I yield. Yep. Mm. Yep. Okay. And, and so, I, uh, I'm going to say this. I, well, just give me three ahead. minutes, and I promise. That's yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Y'all are playing checkers. They're playing chess. So you can continue on the conversation. You can think that guerrilla attack, we're not in a warfare. In order to have guerrilla tactics, you have to have at least a position to come from. Ain't, don't no one have no land here. You can have a yard, but you don't have no land. You don't have a military. You don't have a policy. We've moved backwards. Garvey said race first, and I believe in that. 
and I do all my acting mm-hmm. and race first. But mm-hmm. we move backwards. We don't have no black cross nurse. We don't we don't have these systems that were set up. We have gone back in time. We don't mm-hmm. every house I met a man today, fifty rifles. I said, you got 50 rifles? He's like, yeah, yeah. I said, you got 50 men? No. I said, well, what you doing with 50 rifles? Okay. Do you have 40 men? No, I ain't got 40 men. I said, okay, okay, okay. But you do have 50 rifles. And and, and that's the beginning. All right, now I got to find 50 men to man these rifles. And then we can go and start takeovers that way. But let's be real about where we are and who we are fighting. See, I don't call it white supremacy. I call it opposition. And the reason why I call it opposition is because I want to make sure I'm not shooting white people that may actually have a purpose. I'm not, I don't want to shoot them. I really don't. And I don't want to mix black people that are working against me. Okay? People you don't want to miss. So that's why I don't call it white supremacy because that's too big of a blanket for me. Mm-hmm. My aim not that good. So we got to start with, hey, who is on my team? Who's for black people? And who do we consistently see working against black people? And I think we have and to start there. And I, and I think if we, I could, let's, if let's I could take the fantasy out of it. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 do, I definitely concur. I, I definitely agree with what the sister is saying, and I agree with what the brother is saying. That's the dialectic of this moment. You know what I'm saying? She's absolutely right in the sense that we are not prepared for revolution. You know, we throw that word around lightly and haphazardly in a lot of circles, but we're not ready for what that, the conditions for revolution aren't present in our community. We are so disjointed from the struggle and from the movement you know what I'm saying? Like I said, you know, we got our politicians who supposedly are radical, you know, looking to Puff Daddy for advice. You know what I'm saying? It's like we okay. are, you know, we're in left field somewhere, but that That's left field that we're in came from an assault. You know, it's like, you know, Nagin smacked black culture in the back of the head with that back. And we've been dazed since. You know what I'm saying? So in that state of paralysis, you got some people who are still able to survive, you know, and be intact uh, individually, but the vast majority of us, you know, it's like it's like being a revolution without a revolution, a revolutionary without a revolution. You know what I'm saying? So the first step is, A, in any revolutionary movement is to identify the theory. Like, we don't have a working theory yet. That theory will be mm-hmm. our weapon. Once we have that working theory... Then we can start mm-hmm. to look at the realities of any revolutionary movement, you know, so that we're prepared for the counter-revolutionary attacks that are going to spring impulsively from any revolutionary action. You know what I'm saying? So, I agree. You know, I, right, but, let, okay, let's let, 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 let me respond to that. Okay, yeah, I I can agree. One thing you said, and we talk about this word revolution, and I love it. What is the revolution, though? You know, we say this. We're not ready for the revolution. When the revolution comes, what, like I said before, the Bolsheviks had a socialist revolution. China had a communist revolution. They knew what what revolution? What what is the black revolution? 
like I like you know, Simon said I'm a black nationalist and we all ask what black nationalism is. Let me tell you how deep this thing gets. You do know we got three flags out there, right? We got a Pan Africanist flag, red, black and green. The black nationalists have a flag. Black black, red and green. The New Africans have a flag. Green, red, and black. So they are black nationalist ideologies. When we talk about Marcus Garvey, he's a black nationalist in foundation. Marcus Garvey was a Pan-Africanist repatriatist. His ultimate goal was to repatriate. So when we, we have to be very careful when we talk about Malcolm. We have to talk about this. See, what we do, and, and this is my opinion, of course, we study revolution generally in a whole. We don't study it like historically and step by step. We don't see, like we quote Malcolm, and I love and I love using Malcolm because we all do, because Malcolm was one of those men that you can see in such a short span of his life, you see all of these developments. So everybody uses Malcolm they want. I hear Nation of Islam quoting Nation of Islam Malcolm. I'm a Muslim. I know Orthodox Muslims who will quote Orthodox Muslims. Malcolm said he went to Mecca and saw black men and white men. I'm a black nationalist revolutionary, so I know black white nationalist revolutionary that will quote Malcolm. We're not looking at here's, – here's what I think that we, we – like I said, and I'll go back again to reiterate. I think that we suffer from post-traumatic slave disorder so severely that it hurts to really look at our situation, English. That is our language, like Seven said. Like it or dislike it, it's what you speak. You don't speak. If I try to communicate you to you in another language – even if you knew it, it still would be your second language. It wouldn't hold the connotation and the context and the thing. And here's how I know, because I was talking to someone and I said, even in our language, we've taken English and maybe because I say, you feel me? And we know what that means. But if you're talking to a person who just came with you, know, I don't feel me. I don't like feel. My country, we don't feel like this. You know, so we, 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 we've taken this thing and we've made it ours. When we say, that this is, you know, this is white, that way, that way is white, then it, our escape from it is to find it through everybody. So you find the black nationalists that become cultural black nationalists to the degree that anything westernized is bad. You know what I'm saying? Anything that uh, resembles because we've attached everything to the white man that we subconsciously have stopped liking ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Just like here's what I say. We we I was in the post office. I think mean, I was seven, and a white woman was talking. But they were talking about New Year's, and the black lady asked the white woman, "Well, what you do for New Year's?" She said, "You know, I do what we do for New Year's. I make collard greens and black eyed peas. I could have fell out." This is southern <laughs> white woman. I could have fell out. I thought that was a distinctly black culture. Now I found out this southern white woman does it. Do I throw that culture out? Do I throw that away? You know what I'm saying? So this is what I say. We have to be very careful of what we're labeling as white or white supremacist or what isn't good. White supremacy to me, and I don't, I'm not going to say this is the technical definition, is anything that we do, because we, we've been raised over it, anything we do to our detriment, anything we do to our – cigarettes could be white supremacy, alcohol could be anything done to the detriment of the black man that will stop our advancement, our involvement, and our empowerment, to me, is white supremacy. Not your language, not your diet anymore, not, you know, in the beginning, yeah, because we were forced to do that. Now Negroes eat chitlins on their own. You know what I'm saying? Out of their own fruition. 
I no longer can sit that way. So I could have bad dietary habits. They have all the information of what pork does, da 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 da. And we can go back and say, well, the white man gave you that and you got stuck on that, this and that. But in this day and time, if they make that conscious choice, you know what I'm saying? You could say it's white supremacy because health wise, but I mean, yo. It is a. It has become a part of their culture. Like when you go to Arabs, we're not over there. Arabs eat goat testicles. I don't see none of us over there talking. You should, I'm just trying to make that point that some things are our culture. Some things are our culture now, and we have to. And even though they were given us to us by white people, we have taken them and made them ours. So I like for us to be very clear on what we're calling white influence, white supremacy, and white culture. Okay. And I yield. E, let's let E answer or jump in with what his comments is on this. You said me? Brother E. Hello? Oh, okay. Yes, I was you. making sure. Right. So to build off of what Brother Sykes is saying, um, for a gorilla, it's an even greater need to define who the enemy is. Because the nature of a gorilla is to be loose and form-fitting and to evolve on the spot, to grow, to develop, to adapt to the situation. Panthers, every panther I've ever talked to, well, every panther that, that, yeah, that I've talked to would say, any of them that are, that are, that are versed at all in, in our history, has called the Black Panther Party and all of its children the ideological heirs of Malcolm X. And though Malcolm mm-hmm. Faust, and this goes to your point directly, Yang, I, I agree completely. People like everything else, like to pick and choose what they like about Malcolm. We have to understand mm-hmm. that if we look historically, one of the issues that grew out of Malcolm leaving this earth was the Black Panther Party and us, United Slaves. Mm-hmm. You had your boots on the ground. You had your, your culturalists, essentially. You had a, 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 a diversion in the singular ideology that Malcolm was a proponent of. Malcolm was not a black nationalist. He was not a pan-Africanist. He was none of those things. He used those things to apply them to our oppression as was needed. If we want to get back to even begin to go into the direction that Malcolm and Marcus was the same, because he was a nationalist and a pan-Africanist and so much more, Mm -hmm. black liberation theology, Mm -hmm. all of that. And those movements were successful to the degree that they were successful because they didn't take an ideology. They didn't take this and they put it all together, blended it. It was all one thing. The further we go back in our slave history in this country, the closer to that type of mentality we got. Because believe it or not, to quote uh, uh, David Banner, integration was the worst thing that ever happened to our people. Because in so-called Absolutely. slave times, we had, we had a, a, a cultural identity that caused us to stick together. You see Mexicans or, 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 or uh, uh, Cubans, Puerto Ricans that run into each other on the street or in the grocery store will immediately start speaking Spanish to each other, having never known each other before, they have a certain kinship because there's a, a cultural identity that they recognize. Though one may have been colonized by the French, one may have been colonized by the Portuguese, they still recognize a, a similarity, a, a, a brother, a familyhood amongst themselves. 
And the culture that exists in this country for African people is based on separation. 100% historical, fact, proof, positive that our history in this country is based on separation. Everything we've gone through has been at the attempt of a system to our people to break us apart, including our ideologies, including our understandings, including our identity. We had an identity when we came here. Our identity now is slavery. One of the problems with black history is that it only talks about what we did since the white man so-called supposedly uh, civilized us through slavery. Studying the cultures of Africa and the history of Africa shows us what we can do and what history, what, what, what freedom actually is to a people who were not born from this mm-hmm. country. We were not born mm-hmm. in this country. We're not children of this country. We have been torn up by this country. We were born long before it. And I want to give an example of what revolution is since we have some sense of uh, a, a, a misunderstanding or a question at least was posed as to what revolution is. Revolution, to me, First, it's not about shooting people. You don't have to get a mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about that right now. We're not at that point. I will tell you, for me, there is one, and there are others, but one that I'm very proud of for having known them is an organization called OBU in San Antonio, Texas. Five people, and remember that number, five people have been working since the mid-'70s. At this point today, they've got six figures in the bank. They've got their own K-12 through school. They have a library yes, that's open to the public. Yeah. They have a bookstore. Mm-hmm. They have a, a, a restaurant. OBU. When their children go through the, the educational process, they uh, graduate from their school by going to, to, to Kemet, to Egypt, and they, with uh, uh, Ashra Kwesi. When they get back, they give a dissertation, not about, oh, the pyramids were pretty, but the significance, the historical significance both to our people, to themselves, as well as what was going on in that area at that time. One of, those, one of the uh, uh, cats that graduated from their school went on to uh, finish up his doctorate in, in black psychology studying under Dr. Naeem Akbar, a brother named Oba. So this is what revolution is because they have an understanding. They've looked at what we were, how we got to where we are, and began reversing the process. They've never accepted money from any white organization. A white man sent Babu Phil Phil, uh, a check for an amount of money. Babu Phil wrote in a marker on that check, I know what you're trying to do. Pour it up, sent it back to the white man. When they needed computers for their computer lab, they got the children together, they popped some popcorn, and they went out on the street corner, and they sold popcorn. This is what revolution is if you really want to get down to it. That's what nationalism does. That's what Pan-Africanism and African-centered thought and all the other things are supposed to do because they have a firm understanding of what it is that they're fighting, that we are fighting. But we get caught up in, in all of these other things. For it, the, the, the Germans doing what they did to the Jews, number one, and this is just a personal side note, I give a damn, but the Germans interacting with the Jews, that was tribal warfare. That's white folk business. They had nothing to do. They, they, they were white folks didn't, having a problem with white folks because they Absolutely. had a particular way that they wanted to oppress the rest of the world, and these other people, white folks had a way that they wanted to oppress the world. So they were interacting but with it. I, so, again, and let me emphasize this. No one, all of this has to do with, 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 with our, again, our culture in this country is reactionary, is rooted in oppression, and, in fact, it goes back to something that war likes to talk about, which is neuro-linguistic programming. You can uh, 
our people, Khalid Muhammad used to talk about it, how our people operate on automatic, systematic, remote control. Uh, 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 Carter mm-hmm. G. Woodson, they don't have to tell us to go to the back door. We go to the we'll back door one. because that's the way yeah. we've been programmed. We'll make a back door mm-hmm. if there is no back door. But we, the reality mm-hmm. of it is that looking at somebody else's culture, in my experience is anytime I've gone up to a sister from Yorba and said, I say, they lose their minds. They get crumped. They love it. I heard a story a brother told me when he was in the penitentiary yeah. that, that he talked to one of the guards that was actually from the continent. And when the brother found yeah. out that this cat, uh, a friend of mine, was locked up in there, when he found out that this dude knew something about Africa, he was thrilled. I've always been impressed Absolutely. when I go to them and say, hey, in their language. They love that we love them because they want to love us. But there's somebody standing in the way. And we have to overcome that by making that connection. And the way we make that connection to find our true selves and understand Swahili, Swahili is made up of several different languages. It's not a true, mm-hmm. true African in a traditional sense, African language. It's made up of several different languages. Mm-hmm. So there is no, no, there is a precedent for us going back to Africa in that way. If we, if we uh, infuse a little Swahili and a little Yoruba and a little Hausa and Gosa into our so-called ebonics, that would make it that much more richer, that would make it so much, so much of the revolutionary concept would be alive in doing that because it's moving beyond what our experience and what we've been told we are and reestablishing what we truly are, that self-determination. So, again, I know what, and I'll end it with this, that we have to embrace a culture that shows us who we are, not who it is we've become. And I yield. I, absolutely. I agree with I can agree with that some of some of the things that we're saying in there. Like and you know, then it's up to debate, you know, the African things because like you said, I've I've run across I mean seven when when you talk about like you said, you e find things in the Yoruba, but seven is one that's in it. I've 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 had my a time around them and I don't have a problem with the religion. Here's what I'm saying though. I don't know if it's they love when I do it, Ifa, I mean and I don't know if they love it or if they're amused. I don't know. It, you know, sometimes it's like watching a monkey. It's like watching my, you know, if I seen a monkey break dance, I'd be like, damn. And that's our culture, break dance. But if I saw a monkey break dance, and I'd be like, wow, look at the monkey. He's so cute. He's break dancing. They trained him. They taught him. He's mimicking a break dance. It's not original. It's nothing. Yes, it may be an aspect, a piece of his culture before who we were here. But when we do that, what about uh, all the greats we sit here quoting? Malcolm, Carter G. Woodson, uh, uh, Booker T. All these, all of these black. I don't want to say Americans. I don't want to offend anybody. All of these black people that were birthed out of this struggle. What about the native ancestry? See, what happens here is, and I can understand incorporating some things Africa cool, but it would to me that would be the same as incorporating some things uh, 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 for me, which is uh, Choctaw or Blackfoot. Incorporating some Native Americans. Okay, yeah, it's gonna give me some things of some cultures. What culture look like? For people, see, here's my thing. I don't identify with Nigerians. I don't identify with straight Native Americans. I don't identify with any other straight regional people because they don't identify with me. The black man over here goes out of our way. First, it was the white man. We went out of our way not to be too black. You can't wear that to work. You're too ethnic. Don't talk like that. You're too black. 
Now we go out of our way to get with people and have them accept us and to separate ourselves from being black American. We want to be that black American that's not like them niggas. I know Africa. I know my culture. I know I'm not like those niggas. No, yeah, you're like those niggas. You are those niggas. And in two, we understand as a people that we are all we got. I am a Pan-Africanist by virtue that I believe that wherever black people are, they should practice black nationalism. If you're in Africa, you should practice black nationalism. And I support that. By me supporting it, it makes me Pan-Africanist. You know what I'm saying? But you must address the problem that is facing you uniquely. And I don't think that this is what we do. I think too many times we look for, yeah, we was birthed in, um, here's the last thing I want to say and be brief, what I disagree with. Yeah, we was birthed in oppression and all of that type of stuff, but what do you think this upward rising was about? They didn't, They knew these young people weren't going for white supremacy, though, so they killed them with materialism. The uprising is about not – these young people and black people today want a certain standard of living, and their illusion was shattered. They found out that they wasn't afforded that certain standard of living. It's not about a lot of the uprising. They don't want Swahili. They don't want Yoruba. They don't want Native American. They want better living conditions. They don't want to be pulled over and murdered. They don't want to be, and, and like you said, yes, that may have started in white supremacy, but how it continues to be white supremacy is that black people don't feel like that they're worthy or deserving of that change. And by not feeling like that, we're not willing to take the steps that it's going to take to make the change. And I'm not always saying that they're violent steps. Sometimes they're just steps of restraint and consciousness, being focused and directed. And when we begin to put, like, I do like the OBU. I think that's a great thing. I do have questions about that being revolution on it. What that sounds like is a great program. When you talk about revolution, you're talking about an international change. They're still dependent on a capitalist system. They're selling popcorn. They're at the mercy of a capitalist system. That is not revolution right. to me, in my opinion, of course. And if we lessen right. it to a successful program, then international revolution, I think we'll miss the larger picture. Here's, here's my own thing to say in all of that. Our revolution is going to be unique. Though we go to, I love Transformer. Wretched of Earth is one of my books. Black Face, I mean, what, Black Man's Life, I, I can't remember I'm talking so much. But I love Francis Lord. I think that the use of violence and incorporating violence and revolution, his perspective from it and how he talks about it and how the revolution is very, uh, you know, poignant. And, and, and in some cases, it could even be relative. But what we, I think we really don't do is really shit like Bernard said, really get a theory that addresses our particular issue. And my last thing is saying, like you said, we really don't care about the Jews and, and, and German fighting because it was white on white. But what revolution ain't same on same? When the Chinese revolution, China on China? When the Cuban revolution, Cuba on Cuba? Why the unique revolution? What's going to be the uniqueness about the American revolution is that America isn't a creation. It's not like China. Everybody in China is Chinese. Everybody, this is a really a criminal enterprise. It's a creation. So our revolution is in America. It is going to be unique. In this concept, because the people, the actors on this stage of revolution are unique, and their situation and circumstances and evolution is a unique one in world history. I yield. All right. Let me, uh, this brother, well, let me bring in a caller that's been on hold for the duration here. Oh, that's right. Ending in phone, phone number <laughs> 9767. 9767. Power. 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 Go ahead. We can hear you. Uh, uh, 
Staff James. Um, I wanted to interject here, Honorable National Chief Staff Brother Ward, to the National Chairman, to everyone that spoke, salute to everyone that's present. Um, I want to say you said something about finding the reason why you're being taxed in the community. And at this stage, I think we've got to begin to understand psychologically integration to economically dominate us as a people. And so when we look at natural resources and who holds the power to all natural resources, we understand who holds the real power. So I just want to interject there. I know you had said something about finding the reason. And if I can get someone to uh, speak on that, I'll stand down and listen to the knowledge. Black power. Could you say the question one more time, bro? Uh, can you speak up on psychologically integration to economically dominate us as a people? Stand down. All right. So we'll integration, you know, prior to integration, things like Black Wall Street and Rosewood and all of that were commonplace. There were quite a few uh, uh, communities where African people were together, where we had black attorneys, we had black doctors, we had black schools and black school teachers all living in the same community. And it's those, during those periods of time, we, we were able to actually uh, control to some degree what our destiny was. We had some degree mm-hmm. of self-determination. With integration, the, the idea is some white folks realize, yes, if we integrate, we not only break them up and keep them from uh, uh, being able to develop any power, any basis of power, but we also take away that economics and begin to put it into right. our, directly into our uh, system so that now where the dollar used to circulate in our own neighborhoods, now the dollar is directly to them. Again, being separated from that America. Because Hold on. You I sleep. got some feedback. I can't hear. Because we, hear we, we, we're further separated from one another. That's what integration was. You know, uh, we separate and miscegenate into their system further, into their society further, to where we had no black role models, really. When we had no uh, black uh, uh, cultivating of our children in our schools, in our neighborhoods, we had this mad rush to go and be a part of of what, as Malcolm described it, to sit on the toilet next to white folks. So uh, 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 things like OBU are an attempt to go back and say, okay, as a first step, let's reestablish a black Wall Street where we have this in-house black stuff going, again, with five people doing the work. So it's not that we don't have the resources to do. We're just in so many different directions because we've been integrated and have this this individual mindset that we're no longer willing to step beyond that and look at a more collective African communalism. You asked earlier about what system African communalism is actually a a system based on our traditions. But a lot of times we don't embrace it because of the word African in there. It turns people off. So yeah. that that would be my yeah. take on, on integration. Let me and and, and I wanted to I wanted to jump in there on that too, uh, which I love, which I thought was a good question. My take on integration and the whole thing is just a, a slightly different. Uh, we talk about the Black Wall Streets. We talk about Rosewood. I don't know if those were the norm. You know, I don't want us to forget Not about segregation. Right, right. So here you go with that. So we had segregation. 
And segregation is when they chose where to place us, when they controlled the resources, when they controlled the things in our community. So what in my when I studied Dr. King, who, you know, I thought was a little bit radical for that time, Dr. King to me would say, yo, you're taking my dollar, I'm not going through a back door. They used to wear signs that say, I am a man. Their fight wasn't, in the beginning, a fight for integration. It was a fight for, in, for dignity. It was a fight, like we're saying, Black Lives Matter. It was saying, you charge me the same amount, if not more, for those shoes. Why the hell am I going through a back door? See, we didn't have, there was some time we didn't have the resources in our community. We had to go to them. And those of us in the South, you know, Texas and Georgia and all where we're down, we knew about that segregation. So when Dr. King made that approach, like, you know, like, like with Rosa Parks, the famous one, the, the Montgomery bus boycott, he was like, yo, you're not going to take our money and treat us like this. That's what, it, what, he didn't say nothing about no integration. That white man got slick. He said, you know what? He saw the power of Negro pennies in that bus boycott. Now, here's the difference at that time between a black nationalist, I don't know what Malcolm was at that time, and the thinking of those people, especially in the in, in the South who, and this is why I tell people it wasn't a scary thing. In the South, appraisals were very, very real. And not saying they weren't real at most, they were just more rapid and more blatant. You know what I'm saying? So it was, you know, the reprisal thing. But one of the things, here was the difference between the black nationalists and those that were trying to find either uh, integrity or equality with the white man. When the Montgomery bus boycott came about, the black nationalists would have said, shit, let's start our own bus line. The white man, he got in, in very intelligent, knew those pennies um, added up and began the whole integration process. Let's get the pennies. So what we make a law that says they can do this, it doesn't change the sentiment, it doesn't change their Negroes and we're white, it doesn't change the feeling of white entitlement, white privilege. You know what I'm saying? We are acknowledging that. So that's to me, so I hope I answered your question, brother. In, in my whole, when you talk about economic exploitation through integration, that was a part of it. Where we started at, in my opinion, of course, where we started is saying, hey, you know, treat me like a man. If you're taking my dollar, I'm not going through a back door. I'm going to go through the front damn door, and I'm going to sit in the seat right there, and I'm going to try on my shoes. My dollar is the same color dollars everybody else. Treat me like a man. And when they realized that, yeah, black people do have dollars, they said, like he said, the Rosewoods and the Wall Street and, and uh, the black Wall Streets and things of that nature, when they realized we did do have dollars, they said, we need all the dollars. Let's get them in. We can control it. If we can keep them, like you said, that money, a little bit of money they got circulating, or get every bit out of their community and keep them broke, and not only just keep them broke, then when you do that, you get your people dependent on, or you get people dependent on your goods. Let's sell them the big screen TVs. Let's tell them, you know what? I heard somebody, my boy Reverend Ike said that. He said, not only do they tell you you got a headache, they tell you what type of headache you got. You got an exception headache. <laughs> You know, so this is what that did to us and I <laughs> Okay, let's let Brother Sykes jump I'm, in I'm uh, and add, add yeah. something. And then uh, and then I want to get Sister Seven to come in, and then we still got one more caller I would like us to uh, to uh, allow to speak, and we only got 17 minutes left. Yeah. Go ahead, Sykes. Okay, okay. let's do it in that order. Sounds good. All right, I, I'm just going to say one thing because I know the time is short, but I, so I'm going to make it as quick as possible. And because it kind of, it, 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 I guess with us, revolution becomes one of those things that's extremely fluid and malleable. 
and but for me, revolution as a definition has always meant one particular thing to me in my understanding of revolution. We talk about revolution as if it's a destination to get to, as if it's something that's coming. And, it's, and, it's, and to me, it's not coming. It's not a destination to get to. It's just a vehicle that you drive into a particular destination. And, and, and uh, many, of the, many of the greats of the past, they used to say, uh, Asadi Shakur said in her book, The Autobiography of Asadi, she said, destination is not a destination. I mean, revolution is not a destination. It's a process. And so revolution is the process. It's the, it's the things that we do in order to get to a higher stage of, of our consciousness. That's what revolution is, in my understanding. It's not a destination. It's not something that's coming. And, and, I, and I hate to use this, uh, and I'm going to use it, and, and, and I am 100% non-religious, but I'm going to use this, uh, this concept. Uh, one time they asked Jesus uh, when the kingdom of heaven was coming. And he told them that the kingdom of heaven would not come without salvation. It would not come by you looking over there or looking over here. He told them that, it, that the kingdom of heaven is within you. And that's kind of how I look at revolution. And, it, and if you study any G.P. Newton, Asada Shakur, uh, uh, George Jackson, you study any of these, of these brothers and sisters, they all say the same thing, that revolution is simply the vehicle. It's not some glorious thing that's coming that will magically liberate us. And that's all I had to say. I yield and I appreciate you, brothers, for allowing me to speak. All right, thank you, Sister Seven. You want to come in, and then we get the caller. Actually, on. I'd like to hear. I'd like to let the caller come in. Okay, caller in. I'd like to speak after the phone caller. Number. Okay, caller in in seven two four four. You're on. Peace, 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 black power. Peace and black power. Doing. Paul, we can we peace. can hear you. Hey, that's great. That's great. That's great. I will that everybody's doing well, and um, want to say a, a, a real big black power salute to to the gentlemen, the fathers on the line. Um, and and uh, I I think um, you know, I just 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 uh, tethering to what the brother was saying about what is revolution, um, uh, about what is change. That is a change. Uh, it's it's a turnaround. Um, it's it's going to be a turn, uh, but to me, it's going to reflect a turnaround, and I think that's what we need as it relates to our people. We need a turn around. We need an adjustment in our uh, thinking right now. We need a revolution, uh, and and you know, just kind of like uh, you can't eat an elephant overnight. The revolution won't change overnight. Uh, it won't it won't happen overnight. It's something that has to be systematic. It's something that has to be programmed. But one thing that I found that is one of the most revolutionary things that we can be doing right now is participating in our ancestors deem this is very necessary. This was their tool. And if we don't know our ancestors, we don't know our history, we need to go back and check it out. But their connection to the creator, that connection to nature, you understand, um, they, they, they understood um these very essential things. It's, it's the fact now we have stopped from listening to our ancestors. We stopped from listening to the essential things to now where we're listening to thus says the, the, the wisey or thus says the cracker. You understand? So therefore the modality of thinking, we, we, we are trying to fix our problems. We're trying to fix African problems with white folk solutions. That's never going to work. So I think just understanding who we are, Getting, getting our identity in line. Uh, I went to a Juneteenth festival yesterday, 
and it was good, you know, with with the wave of everything going on. But I will say this: a lot of this crap is not organic. A lot of it is not organic. You got people that are just trying to jump on our movement to get, you know, and a lot of it is the feminist, the the homosexual group. You know, I went to the Juneteenth festival yesterday, and we know right now one thing that we've been encompassing or the problem that we've been suffering with is our black families. So when we're seeing black men in the face of young black children, you understand, promoting this propaganda of, hey, let's go put on dresses, and, you know, at a time, you know, where we're having a celebration that is supposed to signify and, 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 and be related to our, our liberation, you know, promoting these types of things kind of show how much in slavery we are in and how much we do need to work our efforts to turn it around, not just a little turn, just a little turn around, and then I go marry me a white woman. Not just the, you know, we got to be fully dedicated and devoted to, you know, turning this thing around, man. So thank you all. I appreciate your caller, uh, Sister Seven. You go ahead and come on in. Yes. Look, I'm glad I really have this caller. That was an awesome caller, and thank you for calling in. Um, and thank you for recognizing the fathers, and, and thank you for reminding us about this current situation. Everybody's all hyped on Juneteenth. We've been trying to get Dr. King to have a holiday and have it recognized for years. Then all of a sudden we're supposed to think all these great Juneteenth things, that's not a token? It's a token. You know, Juneteenth happened so many hundreds of years ago. We could have. I've been involved in Juneteenth. We've been having festivals and stuff. But now they want to make it a federal holiday to give us that token to try to take the heat off of these national protests that are going on and and trying to divide that one voice that we're trying to shout right now. But it's always good to celebrate it. It's always been celebrated. It's always been a part of it. The federal aspect of it, why do we need them to tell us that this is a holiday? That's the part that I question. And, like, if we're not careful with history, Trump has already said, oh, I'm the one that popularized Juneteenth. And I'm like, wait a minute. You know what I'm saying? Such a slap in the face. So disrespectful. And for those that have been doing programs since back in the 40 years ago, you know. So, you know, we got to really start to look at what they do and why. Anytime they're giving you something, you need to question that. And that's black nationalism, okay? I'm not, you know, the fact that y'all make it a federal holiday does not increase my celebration or my debate on Juneteenth, you know. So, um, caller, thanks so much for sharing. I know we're wrapping up. Chairman, this is your show. I want to tell everyone, I, I just want, you know, my two cents is going to be my, my round out. Is going to be, I, I appreciate the different aspects because I truly believe that when we yeah. come together, whether we agree or not, we are planting seeds to create more understanding to where there may have been a lack. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I want to make sure that it's clear that everyone that listens to the program, we, we may disagree on how, when, and where, but we all have we all know that something is wrong and something needs to change. And so, you know, what we're doing here is exposing our somethings, our reasons, our understandings, and hoping to create a broader base of, of knowledge every time we do this. 
So for those that came over from the last show when we were with Chief War, you know, and, and just continuing this knowledge, I, I feel very honored to be sitting on this panel with everybody. Um, and so I, I'm hoping that more seeds are planted in various areas so that we can really get this this garden kicked off and have it be able to sustain us as we're going through this battle. So that that's yeah. my last minute. Two minutes, okay? Thank you, men. Thank you. Listen, it's a great show. I want to thank everyone. I'm sorry, go ahead. Hey, real quick, let me just let me just kind of uh, wrap up one point that I want to emphasize and, and just get out there to the to the public in regards to our, our operations with the People's Black Panther Party, as well as Panther 48, and as well as a lot of Panther formations as a result of the work that has been put in. One of the things I want to emphasize is within our studies, our studies, we have what's referred to as the mechanism system. The mechanism system goes mm-hmm. into infrastructure, economics, community, information, and defense. As, as we talk about dealing with systematic racism, and we talk about working together, coming up with collectives, as well as putting together think tanks and a few other things on that nature. Know that this stuff is in place, people. As we do that, ideally the way we go about addressing this is utilizing our mechanism system. I mentioned several times, and I want to keep pushing this because a lot of the answers are already written within our structure. We have what we refer to as the three Ds, define, develop, Mm -hmm. and then defend. Within that, as we apply those things to the infrastructure, to the economics, the community, the information and defense within our mechanisms, we address or begin to address and work within the confounds of having committees that deal with the systematic racism as it applies to those areas. So when we're having this discussion that we've been having over the past two weeks talking about what is the issue, the deal is, is we break these things down within each mechanism so that we can have people that have specialty or that want to, you know, basically truncate dealing with solutions in those mechanisms so that we can move forward and actually work toward, like we're talking about, the process of revolution. So I want to make sure the callers understand that we're not basically picking sides or we're not saying one thing is the way to go about Mm -hmm. it and another thing is not. We're not eliminating or we're not Mm -hmm. putting one thing in front of the other. What we're doing is addressing things from a what we refer to as a cell structured theory and, con- and concept and progress. So we actually implement throughout our mechanism systems the different levels of dealing with systematic racism. You know, go ahead, Chairman. I just want to make sure people know that this is discussion does not mean that we're not uh, focused on how we go about things. Go ahead, Chairman. Mm-hmm. Man, with that being said, oh, let me put my make sure I can get my. Can everyone hear me clearly? We can hear you, Trevor. Okay. Five yeah, I want to thank everyone. That, okay. Yeah, I want to thank everyone that came on. Like I echo my national director of operations, Cinnamon. I am so honored to be on. Very rarely will you catch me on with all of my central committee and my man. Listen, my super strong advisory council, the Panther Forty Eight, very powerful, wonderful brothers. Have you go back reevaluate? Listen to what we're talking about. Replay it. Tell people to listen to the show. It's like what Chief War said. This is over discussion we have in, in the People Black Panther Party, uh, our mechanism system. I will echo a sentiment that War said many a time. Uh, check us out, the People's Black Panther Party for self-determination. If it isn't to the way that you would implement empowerment and liberation for black people, there are progressive, positive, 
black organizations out there, think tanks and things that are really fighting for us, uh, just our advancement and a better living condition, if, if nothing more. Check them out. Get involved in your struggle. I hope to do this again real soon. But next Sunday, we got Big Mama's House coming to you, I believe, by National Director of Operations. It's going to be um, so tune in and check in that. After that, I'm coming back. Let's see if I can't get the plan for 40. It may not be this top topic, but let's see if we can't get some people on there, man, get Chief back again, Psyche E back again on some things, man, to discuss. But to the end, I thank you for inviting us into your home, sharing your time with us, for all our callers, listeners, and people that participated. I leave you as I greet you. That's all powers to oppress people, African power to an African people, and black power. Black power. Fuck the police coming straight from the underground. A young nigga got it back cause I'm brown. I'm coming to you here in the truck today. I got a Ford F-150. I like it. Yeah, I'm redneck. I always have been. Many years I was a racist. I didn't like blacks. Now, I come a point realize there's some personal experiences. White people are racist. Not all of them. White culture is. Our white country is. Our nation is. Our American culture is full of white supremacy. We live in a white supremacist culture. That caters to white people. Everything from the media to education to art to culture to politics is whitewashed. What is not whitewashed? This country was built for white people. And it's time us Americans, us white Americans, came to terms with that and realized we're benefiting from that. We created slavery, we created a culture and a system. The white supremacy that has benefited us. For 400 years. Maybe it's about time we stop being lazy as white people. And take some fucking responsibility. Take a little bit of white race responsibility. Let's start with standing up against it. Let's recognize that in every American institution, education, financial, health care, justice, for God's sake it's injustice, in the police departments. We've got an evil called white supremacy in this damn culture. Stop being defensive. Get off the fucking ass and do something about it. Speak up. You can take some fucking responsibility. It's that damn, oh, I don't see color. By God, you better fucking see color. If you don't see color, then how the fuck are you going to help it? How are you going to fix it? Our system sees color. Our culture sees color. We're indoctrinated to see color. Don't tell me you can't fucking see color. Motherfucker, see color. See the black experience. See the brown experience. See what we did to Native Americans. See what colonization did. Look at what, look what the Crusades did. 
Get educated. Open a fucking book. Read, watch a fucking video. Watch Roots again. <laughs> watch Malcolm X. Do something. Think outside of the fucking white box. Black people live it every fucking day. Brown people live it every fucking day. Think beyond your own fucking experience. Think beyond your own self. Imagine the privileges that you have just because of your fucking skin.